Good morning. I'm all in. Are you all in? Welcome to our students. I know we have a lot of them visiting this morning. They'll be going back to school tomorrow. I pray that you don't have my wife in class. She's rough. But uh, other than that, I hope you have a great day. We thank you so much for being here. Uh, you came on a morning where we are talking about elders because Oldham Lane is going to begin the process of appointing additional elders. So we're going to talk about shepherds this morning. There was a, a youth minister who wanted to do a little exercise with his teenagers. And so he handed them all sheets of paper and he asked them to write down who the elders were in their congregation. Now this was a church that had a lot of elders. I think there were 12 total. And so he had this idea that his kids didn't really know who the elders were. And so he was going to use this as a springboard to show them we need to get to know our shepherds. And so he started by asking them to write down who are the shepherds at their church. And they all turned in their sheets of paper. And sure enough, none of them got all 12 correctly. They didn't know their elders. But every teenager agreed that there was one man who was an elder at their church. There was a consensus among all of them that this one guy was indeed an elder except that he wasn't. He was the janitor. Something to that maybe. Something telling there. How would you define an elder? What does an elder look like to you? What adjectives would you use when describing an elder? Maybe wise, faithful, biblical, leader, there was another congregation that decided to do a little exercise as well. They handed two sheets of paper to every member. And on one sheet of paper, they had the heading that read, What this church needs, dot, dot, dot. And another sheet of paper, they had the heading, The problem with this church is, dot, dot, dot. And when all the responses were turned in, by and large, the responses to what this church needs is were things like, more coffee between Bible classes, um, newer, more comfortable pews. Under the heading of the problem with this church is most of the responses centered around, well, it needs a new air conditioning unit. It's too, it's too hot or it's too cold. You know, elders can easily get sucked into that kind of thinking and make it their goal just to keep the sheep comfortable and content and happy, tending to their wants rather than their needs. So over the next several weeks, our shepherds here are going to begin the process of appointing elders. And here's how I want us as the members to view this process. I want us to be like the Atlanta Braves, or the Golden State Warriors, or the Los Angeles Rams. You know what all those teams have in common? They all recently won a championship. And when you win the championship in professional sports, you get the last pick. The worst teams get the first picks. But if you win a championship, you get the very last pick. And so, as the last team getting the last pick, you've got to be careful. You've got to do your homework. You've got to, try to, you've got to try to study and find the right guy that fits your system. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We're going to give the elders our scouting report. We're going to let them know who we think would be fit to serve 
in that role of an elder, the most important role any man could take on. And as you're thinking about this, as you're putting together your scouting report, I want you to answer the question I asked a moment ago. What is an elder? How do you define an elder? And hopefully we can answer that question this morning from a biblical perspective. Generally speaking, there are two types of elders. You have boardroom elders and you have living room elders. And boardroom elders are just like it sounds. They, they stay behind closed doors. They make decisions. They focus on finances and on the business of the church. Whereas living room elders are out among the sheep. They smell like sheep. They're involved with the sheep. Their door is open. And they don't stay behind a closed door in an office somewhere. They're out among the flock. And in short... They are the biblical definition of an elder. All elders should be living room elders. Now, typically, a sermon on elders would focus on 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus chapter 1. Uh, most preachers like myself are going to jump to the qualifications and go through each of them step by step. I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm going to ask you to read through the qualifications to make certain that when you're putting together your scouting reports, you know who it is that fits the mold of an elder, at least from a biblical standpoint. But I believe before we ever get to 1 Timothy 3, before we ever get to Titus chapter 1, we've got to turn to Galatians chapter 5. That is where we start. Look at it with me. Galatians 5, beginning of verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So I submit to you that whenever a congregation engages in the process of appointing new elders, one of the first questions that must be asked of any candidate is, does he walk by the Spirit? Is he filled with the Spirit, and does he walk by the Spirit? If not, he's not qualified. Doesn't matter if he meets the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus 1. We start with, is he filled by the Spirit? Does he walk by the Spirit? First and foremost, he must be a man who is Spirit-filled and Spirit-led. Don't you want the men leading you to be men who are filled with the Spirit? Do you want someone leading you who is not loving? Do you want a man leading you who is not joyful? Do you want this guy leading you? Is that the guy you want leading you? Okay, he fits the qualifications biblically. He checks all the boxes off, but he's joyless. He's not patient. He's not loving. He's not kind, whatever it may be. That's the trap, I think, that many churches fall into. They appoint 
men as elders who meet the scriptural qualifications, but they also appoint men who are boardroom elders. Men who perhaps tick the boxes when it comes to business acumen. They've climbed to the top of the corporate ladder. They're good with money. And certainly there's some overlap. And, and, and certainly there are great men who have, who have performed well as elders, who are good at business, who are responsible with finances and things of that nature. And there's always going to be some overlap when it comes to being an elder and those kind of things. However, what we should be striving for is to appoint men who are living room elders first and foremost, because what works in the business world doesn't always work in the church world. Just because you're good at business doesn't mean that you're going to be good as an elder. You know, climbing the corporate ladder, doing the things to be successful in business often takes a, an approach that's my way or the highway, or, you know, you're appointed the leader of that business, and so therefore you, you, you do it your way, right? But that's not the way it works in an eldership or in a church. It's not about you. It's not just about your ideas and, and, and your way of doing things. You see, an eldership is not a board of directors. It's a collection of shepherds. And the primary job of a shepherd is not to oversee programs or run ministries. A shepherd is not a CEO or CFO. No, the number one job of a shepherd is this, to lead sheep. That's it. That's the number one job of a shepherd. Sounds simplistic? It is. It's biblical. It's not easy to put into practice, but it's easy to say. Above all else, a shepherd tends sheep, which means that if other responsibilities are getting in the way of them doing so, they are no longer fulfilling their God-given role. And it is a sad commentary that in, in some of our churches, elders are spending far too much time tending to business than they are tending sheep. I think this, wouldn't it be great if elders were able to say, I don't know? I think that would be great. I think it would be great if someone were to come up to Larry and say, hey, what's the deal with the uh, ice machine? And he could go, I don't know. Should he know? No, he shouldn't. That's the deacon's responsibility. Wouldn't it be great if somebody come up to Clay and say, hey, what's the deal with the, the TV in the nursing mother's room? And he goes, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not over TVs. I tend sheep. But we think that elders should know everything. By the way, a lot of times people think the preacher should know everything as well. Wouldn't it be great if we could say, I don't know? That we allow the deacons to do their work, the shepherds to do their work. What happens all too often in churches is elders are doing the deacons' work because a lot of times that's where they came from is the world of deacons. And so they're still doing deacons' work and the deacons are going, what am I supposed to do? And so we want to get this straight biblically first and foremost. We want to make sure that we understand the roles of each party in the congregation, whether it be deacons, preachers, elder, whatever it may be. Now, I want you to notice something that is written in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1, uh, we, find, um, we find some harsh words for the elders of the time that I think can be really applicable to what we're talking about today when it comes to shepherding in the Lord's church. Starting in verse 1, Ezekiel 34, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. 
Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains on, on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to search or seek for them. Every church needs elders because every sheep needs a shepherd. It's not just the sick sheep who need shepherding. It's not just the high-maintenance ones or the sheep that have uh, strayed or new Christians. All sheep need a shepherd. Every one of us needs to be led. We need to be held accountable. We need instruction. Submission is good for the soul. It humbles us. It teaches us to be more like Jesus. I need a shepherd. You need a shepherd. Even the shepherds need a shepherd. And I think that's why God, in his his profound wisdom, knew that there should be a plurality of elders among the church. Can you imagine if Larry was the only elder at this church? How difficult, how daunting that task would be. How difficult it would be if, if only Larry and Clay were the elders. Just two of them. How daunting that would be. There's a plurality because everyone needs to be held accountable, including elders. There needs to be a system of checks and balances. There needs to be that, that camaraderie, that closeness, that unification. I mean, we're a team. Elders are a team within the team. And it is their role and responsibility to lead this team. And so they need each other because I wrote a book several years ago called Who Ministers to the Minister. Well, who, who shepherds the shepherds? The shepherds do, right? We all need each other in this thing. Even the shepherds need a shepherd. You think about all this as you read through Ezekiel chapter 34. Notice the failures of these shepherds. They were selfish, of course, and that that really saturated everything else they did. In their selfishness, they failed to feed the flock. They didn't strengthen the sick. They did not heal the disease. They did not bind up the broken. They didn't seek those that had wandered away. They ruled over the flock with an iron fist. And Ezekiel basically says, "You're, you're shepherds in name only. You're not living out the role. You're just being called shepherds, but you're not doing anything worthy of being a shepherd. You have failed in your primary responsibility. You didn't lead. And you'll notice there's nothing in here about finances or about budget or anything else. First and foremost, it's about tending to sheep. The shepherds are to make sure the flock is spiritually fed, strengthen those who are weak spiritually, seek to heal those who are diseased with sin, encourage those who are broken, And search for those who have wandered away. Like literal shepherds of literal sheep, spiritual shepherds have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to keep the sheep from straying, to lead them to water and pasture, to protect them from all danger, and to watch over the flock and give an account. In other words, shepherding is all about sheep. Sheep come first. They are the shepherd's livelihood. They are attached to the flock and the flock is attached to them, which is why we need living room elders, not boardroom elders. Popularity, business acumen, being a numbers guy cannot take the place of being spirit-filled and spirit-led. And so if a prospective elder is not gentle and kind and loving and filled with joy and all those things, there's no need to move on to whether they're the husband of one wife or a drunkard or envy or any of those kind of things. It starts with the heart. Before we consider anything else, let's consider the fruit of the Spirit and whether or not a potential elder is cultivating these qualities in his life. And here's something else that I believe with all my heart, and stick with me on this. I believe 
that every elder should have an MBA. Any of you know who Dave Thomas is? You ever heard of Dave Thomas? He is the now deceased founder of Wendy's, the hamburger chain. And Dave Thomas appeared in, in all the training videos for Wendy's. He was a very hands-on owner. He was not the kind of guy who just sat back and raked in the dough. He climbed the chain at, uh, at KFC, climbed the ladder there, and then broke off from KFC and started his own chain called Wendy's. Not only did he appear in the training videos, he was also in most of the commercials. Some of you may remember that. But there was one particular newsletter that was sent out among the company that featured him on the cover in a knee-length apron holding a mop. And here's what Dave Thomas said about that picture. He said, I got my MBA long before I got my GED. At Wendy's, MBA does not stand for Masters of Business Administration. It means mop bucket attitude. Dave Thomas's key principles were that people come before success. Service initiates success. And that should be a key principle for every Christian, especially an elder, because shepherds are a different type of leader. We refer to them often as servant leaders. But those two words don't seem to go together, servant and leader. We call that an oxymoron. You know what an oxymoron is? Two words that seem to contradict each other that we put together, like working Congress, that would be an oxymoron. <laughs> servant leadership seems to be one of those, those phrases constituting two words that don't go together. It seems that the people in Jesus' time also had trouble with the concept of servant leadership. Remember when James and John's mother came to Jesus requesting that they have special status in the kingdom? And Jesus says, you go tell your bratty little kids to go in time out, and I'll call them when I'm ready for them. Remember that? No, actually, he didn't say that. I wish he had, but he didn't say that. And here's what he does say. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, the other apostles were very upset that James and John's mother went to bat for them trying to get special status in the kingdom. But they couldn't claim innocence here either. Because if you read through the Gospels, you notice that they were always haggling over rankings. All of them were. No one was exempt here. And so Jesus calls a little child to himself at one point, and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then do you remember what happened in John chapter 13 when Jesus girds himself in a towel and begins washing the disciples' feet? And Peter says, Lord, you, you, you don't wash my feet also, do you? And, and Jesus says, yes. And Peter says, never, never shall you wash my feet. And John, or excuse me, Jesus says, well, like, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in this with me. In other words, Peter is saying, look, we've got people to do that, Jesus. We've got servants that do that. You don't need to do this. You are the Messiah, the high and mighty. You, you don't drop down and wash feet. That's for somebody else to do. And Jesus says, no, no, that's for me to do because nothing is beneath me. There is no act of service that is beneath me. 
It's that mop bucket attitude that instead of barking orders or ruling with an iron fist, a servant leader leads by example. They're out in front of the sheep, showing them the way, being and doing what they ask the flock to be and do. You see, there's a difference between a herdsman and a shepherd. A herdsman gets behind the cattle, behind the herd, and barks out orders and prods them and drives them, hits them even, to get them to move in the direction they want them to go. But not a shepherd. You can't drag sheep. You can't put them on a leash. The way you lead sheep is by being out in front of them, in front of the flock, leading by example. I've never had one of our shepherds try to wash my feet. I'll tell you what I've seen our shepherds doing over and over again. I've seen Clay serving ice cream at one of our fellowships. I've seen Eddie cleaning up after everything was over. I've seen Larry walking around with a trash can getting people's trash at a fellowship meal. I've seen Jack sitting at the hospital with, with people as they're, as they're anxiously awaiting the outcome of a surgery. I've seen Royce with his arm around somebody, consoling them. I've seen Chris up here praying for the sick. I've seen, I've seen James loving on people. I've seen all of our elders rallying around people, giving them the love and the attention that they so desperately need at that time. I've also seen them high-fiving our, our, our congregation when something went well in their lives, weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, getting out in front and leading by example. It's, it's, it's examples of washing feet. No task is beneath them, and every person is important to them. Everyone has value because sheep come first, service first. Never ask the sheep to do something that you're not willing to do. Again, elders are not herdsmen. They don't bark orders from behind or, or, or drive the herd. They get out in front of the flock. They mingle with the flock and lead the flock. In John chapter 10, we find one of Jesus' I am statements. It's the one where he says, I am the good shepherd. You talk about an oxymoron. There was no such thing as a good shepherd in Jesus' day. The religious elite had no use for shepherds because mainly they didn't follow all the ceremonial cleansing laws. And so good shepherd was an oxymoron. Those two words did not go together. But I want you to notice verse 14 and following of John chapter 10. It says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back. This commandment I received from my Father. What I want you to extrapolate from this is shepherds have a shepherd. A godly shepherd, a godly elder understands that they're not the ones in charge. The buck may stop with them at the local congregational level, but they understand that they are not the boss. They serve a boss. And any authority they have is God-given. He has bestowed it upon them, and they are to operate within the confines of that authority. They have authority because God has given it to them. That's what Jesus is saying here. Any authority he has is because he is the son of God, but he becomes a servant. He humbles himself because he understands 
who has the ultimate authority. He bowed to the king. He was always about the father's business. The godly elder recognizes that this authority comes from the father. He is bound by scripture. He is spirit-filled and spirit-led, which automatically makes him a servant, not a ruler. He leads not as a boss, but as a servant of the boss. A good shepherd understands that these are not his sheep. He's been tasked with leading them, but they're not his sheep. They belong to the good shepherd, to God. This requires humility. It requires recognition that as a leader, I'm also a follower. There was a car accident in which a father, a mother, and two children were left unconscious. They were going to be okay, but they were unconscious at the scene of the accident. So the paramedics pull up, the police pull up, trying to figure out what happened. There just so happened to be a monkey in the car with them. And so the police officers decide, well, let's give it a shot. Let's ask the monkey what happened. And so they ask the monkey, what was the father doing during the time of the accident? And the monkey makes a motion like this, been drinking. It's okay. Uh, what was the mother doing? The monkey's doing this. Okay, it's starting to come into focus, what happened. They said, what, what were the children doing? The monkey starts doing this, like they were fighting in the back seat. And so the police get a full picture of what was happening at the time of the accident, and they, they conclude, well, no wonder there was a problem. I mean, all that commotion going on in the car, no wonder they had an accident. And just before they walked away, they decided to ask the monkey, well, so what were you doing at the time of the accident? And the monkey goes, <laughs> folks, if we're not on the same page in this thing, we're going to have an accident. And it could be tragic. We've got to understand who's driving this thing. And as passengers, we've got to make sure that we are not a distraction. We are a team. A team is defined as a group of individuals united in a common goal. That is us. We are a team. A group of individuals united in a common goal to get to heaven. We've got to understand who's driving and we've got to let them drive. We've got to keep from being a distraction. And we've also got to understand that we're all in this together, right? This isn't just about me. We're all in this together. So let's contribute to the unity and success of this team by carrying out our roles effectively and submitting to the shepherds and letting them lead us. May seem like an awkward time to add an invitation, but we want to do that. Kevin's going to lead us in a song. If we can help you this morning, if we can pray with you, if we can encourage you, if you want to be a part of this team and like to know more about that, let us help you with that as well. If you're ready to put on Christ in baptism this morning, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?